Following our last federal election, which saw the Liberals return to government with another minority, voices have been rising about a more fair and equitable form of elections to best represent all voters. Does Canada need electoral reform right now? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. In 2015, then Liberal leader Justin Trudeau said if you won that election, it would be the last vote with the first past the post system. Well, we've had two elections since that claim and both were first past the post. When you look at the numbers from the last election, Trudeau won with the support of just 20% of voters, one in five. Not exactly a rousing endorsement. In Europe, New Zealand, Australia, they have various forms of electoral reform, whether proportional representation or ranked ballots. Our unpublished vote question asked you, do you support electoral reform in Canada? 89.3% said yes, 6.2% said no, and 4.4% were unsure. However, you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss the issue of electoral reform, I'm pleased to be joined by Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch. Katrina Miller is the program director of the Broadbent Institute. Raelle Laverne is with Fair Vote Canada. And Carl Narenberg is the parliamentary correspondent with Rabble. .ca, and I thank all four of you for joining us to talk about electoral reform. And does uh, we'll start off with you, Katrina. Does elect our electoral system need reform, or is it just the smaller parties that are calling for it? Well, I think that when we look at the engagement of voters, we can see over the last 30 years that our turnouts are getting lower and lower. Um, and we're also seeing a greater prevalence of minority governments. We're seeing a greater prevalence of governments that are in false majorities when they are in majority. And all of this shows that, that there's there's a disengagement in our electoral system um, that is actually very dangerous to democracy. When we look at other countries that have put forward electoral reform in the, in the form of proportional representation, what they experience is higher engagement levels and, frankly, better democratic representation of the public. Uh, Rael, how is proportional representation more democratic? Well, more democratic. You have to understand how, how votes translate into seats under proportional representation. I like to think of, a, as an example, you bring 10 different ridings together. And then if 20% of the votes uh, in that 10-member uh, district go to party X, then party X will get two seats. And what that means is that if you have, if you're voting for a losing candidate in your district now, or if your vote isn't needed in that district, under proportional representation, that vote would transfer to somebody else to make sure that somebody from the party that you support gets elected. So what you end up with in this fictitious example of a 10-member district uh, is that about 90% of the votes will actually help to elect somebody of your choice, whereas right now it's less than 50%. Now, just to, to follow up on that, you know, it's you have two votes and and while one person is a candidate in the election, the second person is appointed by the party, is it not? Uh, you're thinking of the mixed member proportional system. My okay. example doesn't specify how you would elect uh, the members. In, in my model, in the image that I have in my mind right now, you're actually electing 10 nominated uh, candidates from different parties, and you get to choose which of the candidates you want to vote for. Uh, Duff, how can electoral reform 
increase local accountability? Well, um, many different systems of electoral reform would uh, mean that uh, essentially uh, members that are elected would have to um, be trying to win the support of more voters on a local level than they need now in order to win. Uh, but the overall issue, I think, really with electoral reform, not just voting system reform in terms of changing how votes are counted, uh, but other reforms as well, um, is that uh, especially with how changing how votes are counted, there's just a strategic and, and tactical barriers that are very difficult to overcome. And it's easier to win some other changes that are also needed, which is, for example, an honesty in politics law, so that misleaders who bait voters with false promises in order to win more seats in our first-past-the-post system are penalized. And also, we should have a right to vote none of the above. But in terms of changing the way votes are counted, uh, in terms of the number of seats that each party gets, there are some serious barriers that are really difficult to overcome in our uh, current Canadian context, especially at the federal level. And, and what are those barriers? Well, the main thing is uh, that people are worried about uh, small parties that are on the fringe getting power in Parliament that uh, would be undue power. And so things like uh, in the, the current Canadian context, the People's Party of Canada, who has a leader who is, I think, the most Trumpian party leader in Canada, more Trump-like than even Jason Kenney or Doug Ford, is uh, worrying to people who would see, well, that party, the People's Party of Canada, got 5% of the vote. They would get seats in the House under most systems that people are suggesting, that even if you have a threshold of 3 to 5%, they had 5% of the vote, they would get seats. A threshold may not even be legal uh, or con constitutional, could be challenged by a small party. And based on past case law, I think the Supreme Court would actually rule that you can't have a threshold, that if someone votes for a party and you have a, a uh, proportional system, that that party should get seats. Of course, the party would have to get a, uh, a percentage of the vote that would allow it to be, have a right to even one seat. And... Um, those kind of things are worrying to a lot of voters. And those are tactical and strategic barriers for electoral reform advocates to overcome. Whereas a vote for none of the above and honesty in politics law and other reforms to government democratic reforms like requiring ethics and requiring transparency and waste prevention, those don't have those same kind of downsides that worry people. They would make for better government because government would be honest, ethical, transparent, and waste preventing more so than now. The issue of making it more representative brings up these issues that are, that are difficult to overcome because of the worries of people. And I know that you can point to other countries and say, well, these problems could be solved with thresholds and things like that. But again, a threshold of winning seats in parliament by getting a certain percentage of the vote may not actually be constitutional in Canada. It's something Democracy Watch has called for for a long time, which is that the, that question should be referred to the Supreme Court. Would a percentage threshold under a proportional system be constitutional before the change is made so that we know what we're getting into in terms of the kind of parties that could be represented in the House? 
You know, Katrina, the uh, the People's Party of Canada seems to be the almost the boogeyman when it comes to, to PR or even ranked ballots uh, when people are talking about electoral reform. But on the other side of the coin, uh, if they obviously get the votes, on, you know, despite their their platform, et cetera, is that not still democracy? Uh, yeah, it is. And I mean, I think that the evidence of what happens in other proportional representation systems about whether or not there's a takeover of extremist parties, the evidence shows that, in fact, that's not what happens in these systems. Because these systems um, encourage, in fact, demand negotiation and collaboration amongst many parties, parties th- those extremists actually tend to be somewhat more marginalized in these systems. Um, so, you know, even if they do get a couple of seats, they actually don't get anywhere close to a balance of power. We also have to remember that our our current system and many first-past-the-post systems have, in fact, put, you know, what might be considered an extremist in place. Bernier almost won uh, the conservative leadership. Uh, Trump just spent four years in office as president of the United States. So our first-past-the-post system doesn't do a very good job of keeping extremists out of office. And a proportional representation system would, in fact, demand collaboration and coalition-style governments amongst the politicians that are put into office. Now, at the yeah, and just, to, just to clarify, Ed, if I can no, say, sure. Democracy Watch supports these changes as part of the, uh, the Equal uh, Vote uh, Count Coalition. I'm just talking about strategic and tactical barriers that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, they are difficult to overcome because of these worries and the difficulty of educating enough people about how these worries are not justified. They are just come, serious barriers in? as a result in, in, in Canada and in the Canadian, uh, current Canadian context, especially at the federal level. Pop in there, Rayo. Yeah, well, first of all, the, the issue of thresholds is one that we debate a lot in, uh, in Fair Vote Canada. Personally, I'm not in favor of it. But the reason I'm not in favor of it is that all of the regional systems that have been proposed for Canada, whether it's mixed member proportional or STV, they've got natural thresholds at the regional level, which are ap- absolutely sufficient to keep extremist parties from winning large shares of the seat while allowing them a certain number of seats, which I think is totally democratic. So it's kind of a good a good compromise, I think, to do it that way. The other thing I would point out, I agree with Duff that getting proportional representation is a huge challenge. I mean, we've been at it for a hundred years, we still don't have it, but I wouldn't say that the fear of extremist parties, despite the fact that this is the argument uh, put forward by the Liberals currently federally, uh, that that's the major issue. The major issue is the huge conflict of interest that politicians are in when they're elected under one system and then you ask them to change the system. So you need to find a way to get around that conflict, um, which is why uh, I would advocate, Canada advocates a citizens assembly that politicians commit in advance to respect the results of uh, what the assembly would have to say. Now, uh, Carl, uh, you had a very interesting uh, column not long ago regarding electoral reform and how it exposes regional divides. It seems that we have even bigger divides right now after that last election. So the strongest argument I think I would make for the mainstream large parties is that their own, they have an interest. The liberals and conservatives both actually have an interest in changing our electoral system. So the argument about fairness to the smaller parties isn't going to really influence liberals and conservatives, the, the, the two big parties that have always had all power federally in Canada. But the argument that 
all their efforts in regions where they where they do very poorly um, uh, are, are go for naught or are just a total waste would be rewarded under a somewhat modified system could help. The fact is that the liberals were um, got in in Alberta and Saskatchewan combined. They got two seats out of the total number of seats in those two provinces. Um, and in the greater Toronto area, which has something like 54 seats, the Conservatives got uh, five seats. Um, and the Liberals got all the other seats, 90% of the seats. The Conservatives got something like a third of the votes there. And they got all the other five seats, um, you know, a far, far lower percentage and none in the, in the, in the actual city of Toronto. And uh, of course, the NDP was completely shut out. But we won't preach here in favor of the NDP because the mainstream parties don't care what happens to the NDP. Uh, we should we should say that what what happens is that the parties become by force of the system too regionally focused, and the one party that makes out like a bandit in our system is the party that's exclusively regional, the Bloc Québécois. A party committed to splitting the country in two, committing to the separation of Quebec from Canada, committed to that says that it cares nothing about the rest of Canada. Its only reason to be in Parliament is to act as a voice for the Quebec government and to promote exclusively the interests of one province. I love Quebec. I come from Quebec. I speak French fluently, but that sort of party, sure, should have its place in Parliament, but it has an exaggerated place in Parliament. And I'm sure both the Liberals and Conservatives actually would rather have more NDP members and bloc members, uh, because the NDP is a national party that plays ball that has a national interest at heart. But um, the um, the uh, our system disproportionately rewards those people because they concentrate geographically. Our system favors rocks and trees and geography over people and over a, a broad distribution. Let me just say one thing quickly. The Germans had to reinvent their democratic system after World War II, and they thought hard about it. And Germans have explained it to me that one reason they adopted the, the half and half system, half our system and half proportional, was that had they not, even in the old West Germany, never mind the new part that they incorporated later on, the Social Democrats, uh, the part of the moderate left, would have been 100% in northern Germany along the North Sea in the area that happens to be more Protestant. The Christian Democrats would have been in the more Catholic part of the country, 100% in the South. I, neither party would have any seats in the other territory. The country would be then divided north-south, a northern party and a southern party. And the other two main parties of the time, the first one following the war of the World War II, which they call the Free Democrats, which is a moderate right-of-center uh, free enterprise party, would have been squeezed out completely. And then when the Greens emerged on the scene, one of the greatest post-war leaders of German, Germany was Joschka Fischer, the foreign minister in a Green Social Democrat coalition. The Greens would never get a seat had they didn't have, had they had no proportional lists. So Germany, we always talk about, people I know, my friends talk about, oh, Israel and all those parties and unstable. Germany is a model of a stable democracy. They never have got governments falling. They never have minority governments falling and having co constant elections. We are less stable than Germany. Germany has a government coalition that lasts for the full term, term of the coalition. It always does, invariably. And they have succeeded in getting representation for the major parties throughout the country. Now, they do have the AFD, which is more than a handful of seats. It's 10%. They did rather well, but they, they are managing to control them and managing 
to deal with them and maybe better to deal with them inside the Bundestag and parliament than having them out in the street. Uh, they, they, they force them to be less violent and less crazy and more respectable because they want to be part of the parliamentary system. So it is, it is, it is an awkward situation because you do have, since the uh, incorporation of East Germany, an anti-immigrant sector of the population, people who are attracted by that kind of ideology, and the AFD does well in that part of the country. By the way, the AFD would be in anyway. It's the, that's called Alternative for Germany, the AFD. They would have gotten in anyway because they managed to win regional seats. So they would have gotten elected nonetheless. But I think that a situation where we have whole parts of the country painted one color, we have all of Saskatchewan entirely the same, all of Newfoundland save one seat, entirely the same party, all of PEI save one seat, entirely the same party. All of the huge area of Toronto, Greater Toronto, has more seats than any province, aside from Ontario and Quebec. And in the Greater Toronto area, you get five seats, five miserable seats for the Conservatives, zero for the NDP. That is the problem. It is that that is the dysfunction. And that could create Nash. It already creates a parliament where conversation is too based not on interests and policy and good of the country, but on regional interests. We already have that problem in our parliament, and it could get worse. I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the Bloc Québécois managed to slip in as the official opposition. They ran seats in one province, and they were the official opposition. There's something wrong with the system that gives the Bloc Québécois the role of the official opposition. And that's what's fatally flawed about our system. Now, Katrina, uh, proportional representation can be complex. Obviously, it's different than what most people have, have had here. We've had the lowest voter turnout in the last election. And if people can't figure out or be engaged with what we have now, what's to say that PR is going to engage them more? Because it's going to mean more thinking. And I, I, I hate to say it, but people, when it comes to politics, it, it, it just seems people are lazy about it these days. Yeah, I, so so what... Some people will uh, will assume is laziness. I actually assume is disenchantment um, with politics. Disenchantment because their interactions with it haven't actually uh, elicited much result for them. Most voters walk away not seeing their vote matter, seeing their vote, as Real uh, pointed out, literally wasted, um, and not seeing the people in office represent them, uh, represent their own lives and the way that they live their lives or represent their interests. And so when that's the case, you do get more and more people disenchanted. It's not that people are lazy. It's not that people don't want to read and understand a ballot and how it works and can't understand a more complicated ballot is that they don't understand that this process is actually going to have any real impact for them. This is why when we when proportional representation systems are put in place, you actually do see higher voter engagement and turnout by 5 or 10% in many systems. You also see greater inclusion of people who are racialized or otherwise marginalized in society, a greater proportion of, of those elected and becoming who sit in parliaments are women um, and so we see overall a better representative government come from proportional representation systems. And with better representative governments, you're going to get better engagement, not just in the election itself, but in all aspects of governing. Those people who feel that they have political representatives that actually represent them are more likely to talk to those representatives about their concerns, to call them up, ask them for solutions. Right now, a lot of people look at the political representatives and see them as a bunch of people who, uh, who largely represent an elite 
class of folks, whether that be corporate interests, whether that be special interests, whether that be a certain, a certain geography, to Carl's point, whether that be a, a certain demographic. Uh, they do, we, we see government as a place where special interests rule instead of overall inclusive public interest. And that's where disengagement lies. I think we can walk people through, and I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't think it's going to happen within this, this government. But I think we can walk people through a conversation that talks about how we get deeper engagement with better representation through, through an electoral reform. Through an electoral reform, maybe it ends with, with, uh, with proportional representation straight, maybe it ends with a mixed member system like Germany has. Whatever it be, we need to have that conversation. Because what's clear and what's been pointed out here is that you know, our voter engagement, our turnouts are falling. We're getting more and more minority governments. We've gotten a third of our minority governments in the history of our, of our government in the last 20 years. And we're getting greater and greater skewing between the popular vote and who's sitting in, in parliament. And so all of that leads people to this ongoing conversation about what we're going to do in order to solve our democratic deficit right now. What are we going to and And, you know, we talk about the fact that We've had referendums, you know, in BC, in Quebec, in Nova Scotia, in PEI. We've had these referendums and they've all failed. But yet the topic of conversation remains. And there is a growing number of people. And I think it's the younger electorate and the, the, younger, uh, the younger people involved in their political parties who are actually driving that conversation. So I think we'll see the conversation continue to trend and grow and maybe see a final change a decade from now when they finally take power. Duff, in terms of engagement with voters, and obviously we can look at the previous uh, results of the election and how bad it has been. Uh, I'm wondering about mandatory voting or compulsory voting, and perhaps that creates more engagement. No, I I don't think we should go there um, or internet voting as some have proposed. Um, There's a consensus among computer experts that internet voting is very dangerous because only a few people can verify the voting results, and as opposed to their current system of paper ballots, where any scrutineer in any polling station can verify whether the ballot was cast for one candidate or party or another. Mandatory voting, uh, if you don't allow voting none of the above, I'll be the first to file a charter challenge against that, because forcing me to vote and give legitimacy to any party or candidate, if I don't think any of them are legitimate, is a violation of charter voting rights. We can do these other changes, an honesty in politics law, where uh, people can't make false promises, debate voters to vote for them, and voting none of the above, and changing the voting system to something that is more proportional, which the Interparliamentary Union, which is an association of parliaments from across the the world, uh, says is the best system, and Canada belongs to that association. Uh, those would all increase voter turnout back to the uh, 75 to 80% levels we saw in the 80s and 90s. And I don't think there would be any case for mandatory voting after you make those changes. Voting system reform won't make government more honest, ethical, or transparent, or waste preventing. There's no evidence of that from any other, uh, any other jurisdiction, but it will make it more representative. And that's why we need these uh, reforms. Uh, we also need all those other reforms because those are also major reasons for people turning off politics because they are baited with a false promise to vote for a party, don't get what they want, even when their party wins. 
and then watch uh, corp- big business uh, doing secret deals behind closed doors with politicians again and again, and lobbyists and party insiders getting favors and, and money flowing to them. And that's why you need transparency, ethics, and honesty reforms, along with voting system reform and also waste prevention reforms. So yeah. hopefully we will move forward um, with something. But, you know, another tactical barrier is ranked ballot. And we just saw the liberal leader in Ontario, Stephen Del Duca, say he'll make electoral reform a priority, will resign if he doesn't keep his promise. But he's putting out ranked ballot, which favors his party, the liberals, as the system. And a lot of experts will say, well, that's an improvement. And he'll hide behind that and uh, move forward with a a reform that really helps his party. So it is another tactical barrier and strategic barrier to getting a proportional system that would more fairly represent voters' uh, intentions and wishes across the board. The uh, the honesty in politics lie. I think uh, we we might not have any any more politicians left if we brought something in like that, but it would be certainly interesting. Uh, In in terms of uh, the ranked ballots, and obviously Prime Minister Trudeau has come out uh, in favor of that, Ray Ray L., and, and Duff uh, pointed out that it favors the Liberals. How is that? How does it favor them? Well, it's because of the way that votes are counted and the way preferences are taken into account. If Conservatives' second choice is Liberals and NDP's second choice is Liberals, then that tends to favor the Liberals in terms of electing more people. Uh, so it, one could imagine a situation where the Liberals really strongly sweep uh, the seat count uh, despite being the first preference of only a third of the of the electorate. So the, the system, and, and there have been a lot of simulations that tend to show that the Liberals would be the main benefactor, Conservative Party would be the main loser. And I think the fact that it is so strongly, uh, that favors one party so much more than the others is one reason where uh, why this is not as threatening as it might otherwise be, because if there's no social consensus for a change, I don't think it's going to be it's going to be lasting or that it's going to take place. So uh, the liberals can talk about ranked ballots all they want. I don't think it's going to happen. Trudeau himself has recognized that. He said, I'm not going to touch it because it would be seen as a liberal plot. If I can go ahead, Carl. I just wanted to leap in on a point, go back to what Katrina had mentioned. She said, oddly, she said, we've had more minority governments recently than we had in the past as voter engagement has declined. I'm not sure they're connected, but I would want to say that. That's an odd thing to say in a funny way because um, another voting system, not ranked ballot, but anything that has is partly or 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 more consistently proportional, would inevitably not lead to majority governments. I mean, New Zealand is an example of a a country that switched to proportional system because their government, their Labour government, did what Duff is arguing against. They broke their promise. In fact, it's not so much they didn't implement what they promised. They implement something completely off the, off their program. They brought in an austerity program that was no that they never mentioned. After that, the people of New Zealand said, "We're not going to give a government a majority." Then they can they can run on one platform, and then they can implement a completely different platform. So they they changed their system because they did not want majority governments. But I would argue that one reason that we again to get electoral reform, you've got to get the kind of look the people in the larger parties, the politicians in the larger parties, the operators in the larger parties, and the people who vote for the larger parties traditionally support them to see their interest in it. Again, to go back to the exaggerated support for regional parties, we have that example with the Bloc Québécois, 
One reason why we consistently have minority governments is that a whole bunch of, we already always had the NDP as a third party or traditionally CCF, then the NDP, and we used to have social credit occasionally and others. But now we, all, we seem to be getting this block of seats for the block in Quebec, which takes them off the table, which raises the bar for getting enough seats um, to, a, to a majority much higher. If you're going to take 30 seats in Quebec off the table, then you're going to have to get a much higher proportion of the remaining seats to get past 50% plus one. And again, that's an argument. We could have, we're seeing the, the beginnings of regionally based parties in the West as well. Our system creates a great opportunity if you want to be a regional party, a regionally based voice, if you want to not, not even bother to run throughout the country, and you want to operate that way and represent uh, tendencies that split the country apart and create national disunity, our system is the best system for you. The first past the post system is the one that's going to give you the most bang for your buck. And I think this is the argument that we have to play strongly for uh, people. We go back, I mean, I go back to the years of Pierre Trudeau's father. Interestingly enough, in the liberals of those days, there was one election, they were shut out completely. They had one seat in Manitoba. That was our entire Western, had a majority government with one seat in Manitoba somehow. But it was very awkward. They had to name senators uh, to the cabinet to get Western representation as the conservatives once did for Quebec. Again, I mean, the, the liberals at that time had something like 25% of the vote in Western Canada and one seat. Uh, you know, they didn't care at the time. It didn't bother them. But as time goes on, it erodes a sense that we have a parliament that is really considering the country as a whole and is looking at issues on the basis of, of, of huge crises, of climate change, of, of uh, social inequality, of this, the plight of precarious workers, of indigenous reconciliation, of economic productivity, productivity and growth. Rather, it's everybody looking at it from their parochial regional interest rather than from the point of view of how do we deal with the huge challenges for the whole country. And that is the challenge, I think, for those who advocate electoral reform, is to make it an essential project for the country as a whole, not a project to give the NDP more seats or to get the, the People's Party of Canada seats in, seats in Parliament. The Liberals Conservatives couldn't give a hoot about that. But they do, they, they do, enough of them in those parties do give a hoot about having a coherent national politics. Uh, Katrina, I, I'm wondering if part of the problem is our, and I read this, uh, an interesting article from David Moscroft, that our parliamentary system is built for, for two parties and not five. Does that have any validation for you? I think it does. I mean, in fact, it, you know, it allows me to clarify uh, Carl's uh, question around the minority, uh, the minority parliaments issue. You know, we have had four minority parliaments in the last uh, 20 years out of 12 throughout our whole you know time as confederation and and i think that what's interesting about that is you know it it makes us question whether or not we need a majority for stable government because clearly we don't we've been able to make some really important decisions um, with minority government we aren't situated structurally to make minority parliaments or coalition governments work because of our first past post system we still see a lot of divisiveness um, in these parliaments, you see a lot of unwillingness. You don't see good good structures to have to have parties work together and to uh, you know to come to come upon mandates together. Certainly, they work together in committees, but to actually form mandates uh, together for government. Um, and I think that you know we're seeing our system go towards wanting 
to uh, have more parties represented in parliament, but without a structure in our electoral uh, system and our structure in our parliamentary system to actually make the best use of that, to make sure that the conversations and the decisions that are made in that government, um, in that system, uh, reflect what people want. So yeah, we, we, you know, we're in a system that works really, really well when you have two parties. Not so great if you have four, five, six parties and all of them starting to gain vote shares that really, uh, you know, really are of a level where they should have seats in Parliament. Well, folks, uh, that's a great discussion on electoral reform is uh, we're out of time, but excellent, excellent discussion. I want to thank our guest today on Unpublished TV, Duff Conacher. He's the co-founder of Democracy Watch. Katrina Miller is the program director at the Broadband Institute. Raelle Laverne is with Fair Vote Canada. And Carl Narenberg is the parliamentary correspondent with rabble.ca. Coming up on the next unpublished TV, is it time for the federal government to pull the plug on the Canada recovery benefit? Thanks for watching unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.